started indicating you're going around to the same churches year after year and you're swimming, you're, you're fishing out of the same bathtub, going to just this circle of churches every year. And the Lord said, I want you to break out of that circle and I want you to start having meetings in places that are, are available for other denominations to come. I want you to have all faiths crusades and I want you to teach in the day. And I want you, do you remember when God told him to teach? He said, Lord, nobody's gonna come hear me teach. Nobody wants to hear me teach. He said, Lord, I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm going to teach all this week, and you'll just see. Nobody's going to come. And he said in the mornings, he would teach, and by the end of the week, it was more packed in the morning sessions than the people in the evenings. Because he thought that the only thing you could do is preach like a house of fire. So he's out there ah, preaching, and the Lord said, I want you to teach in the day services. And it was the, him teaching in the day services that made his ministry uh, effective to help people retain or regain their healing that they had gotten from the people that had come through with the tent meetings. He, he says in his book, How to Keep Your Healing, that the people would come through with the different tent meetings and the believers in the churches were getting healed by the anointing, by the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't have faith to maintain their healing. And so the pastors were dealing with all these people who got healed in Oral Roberts' meeting. They got healed in Billy Branham's meeting or, or Brother Branham's meeting. They got healed in all of these different meetings. But then three months later, four months later, their healing was gone. And they were like, well, I thought I got healed, but I, I guess I didn't get healed. Where they didn't have faith to maintain what they had received by gift of the Spirit what they had received by the anointing of healing. And so Brother Hagin said to the pastors, he would come in and the pastor said, I've got four people. I know they have that illness. They got healed in this meeting, but now it's come back on them. It was gone for four months, no symptoms, no evidence of it. It was gone, but now it's come back. Can you help us? And he said, tell them to come to the teachings in the morning. And then I'll pray with them at the end of the week. And usually he had two to three week services. So he would say, tell them to come to all the day services. And at the end of that three weeks, I'll pray with them. And he said, nine times out of 10, they did not need me to pray with them at the end of those meetings because they already got what they needed during the teachings because they learned how to operate their faith and get what the enemy had tried to steal from them. If he had not made that change, none of us would probably know the name Kenneth Hagin today. And none of us would have all of the benefit of the teachings that we have learned from his ministry. Amen? But because he was willing to adjust when God came to him and said, that needs to change. He was willing to, to let God uh, correct him and change what he was doing. Hallelujah. So he said... He believed that the people were living cleaner lives spiritually and the result of it was they lived cleaner lives physically. Cleaner in the way that they did. There was not a rampant of terminal diseases in the body of Christ. And then he also attributed the moving of the Spirit in signs and wonders during the days of the healing revival to the holy lives that people were living in that time. And another thing that the Lord had me to remind us about was something that uh, Pastor Caldwell consistently brings in the form of a story. He tells the story of when Oral Roberts was starting the ministry alliance of uh, faith ministers, and he brought together different leaders from the body of Christ. And in that meeting, uh, Lester Summerall said, I think it will be good to have this alliance if you can keep it clean. And then he, he looked at Frida Lindsay, who was married to Gordon Lindsay, who was the one who established Christ for the Nations, 
who also, during the days of the Voice of Healing, had a ministerial alliance called the Voice of Healing. He had a newspaper that went out and he featured what was going on in the lives of these ministers and most all of the people who were involved in that move of God were in, in that alliance. And so he said, tell them, Frida, what happened in that group. And what happened was those ministers would come together to pray. And as they prayed, they would seek God for what God was doing in that time. And she said, until we got a television in the break room. And when we got a television in the break room, they would pray shorter and shorter so that they could go down and watch the wrestling matches. The wrestling matches became their their focus instead of seeking God for that moving. And Pastor Caldwell would tell us that story. I heard him tell it from the pulpit. I've heard him tell it in ministers' conferences. And then we've had opportunities when we have traveled with him, uh, helping, uh, serving him and serving Sister Jeannie, where he would tell us that personally. And I was hearing it so often, I was beginning to ask the Lord. Every time I would hear it, I would think, okay, I need to pay closer attention. God keeps bringing that story to me for a reason. He keeps, and, and so every time he would tell it, and, and this, is, this, is, this is wisdom for you. Y'all want a wisdom nugget? When your pastor tells a story, lean into it. Lean in. Why? Because there's going to be in that story something that's going to equip you, light that's going to help you. And so Pastor Caldwell, he'll start the story and he'll say, have I told you this before? And I said, tell me again. Tell me again. And so when he would tell this story, we would be like, okay. And then he would, he would just kind of, they went down to watch the wrestling matches. And so the Lord spoke to Pastor Seal one night. And I read the whole thing to you, but I'll just uh, uh, tell you the, the emphasis. He said, he said, I didn't quit speaking, but they became duller and duller of hearing because they became carnal in their pursuits. And he said, carnality will desensitize your spirit. The Holy Spirit brought that to us. Carnality will desensitize your spirit. The wrestling wasn't sinful. It was just taking a place that it should not have had in their fellowship. Their fellowship was around a spiritual emphasis, a spiritual moving of the Holy Spirit that they were privileged to be a part of. And it became something that they were easily uh, um, moved away from the honor of, of God moving in our midst the way that he's moving to, hey, let's go down and watch the wrestling teams. Let's go down. And, the, and so the Lord told Pastor Steele in that in the, he had had a vision like uh, a few days after we had been with the Caldwells and Pastor had told us that story the Lord, in the early morning, he told Pastor Steele, he said, don't get caught watching the wrestling matches. Don't get caught watching the wrestling matches. The carnality is the snare. The snare of the enemy. It can be something that doesn't necessarily look like blatant sin. But if it draws us away from the deeper depths of God, if it draws us away from a place of sensitivity to the Spirit, we don't become sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit by obeying the lust of the flesh. We become sensitive to the leadings and the promptings by obeying the spiritual flows and promptings, by yielding ourselves to righteousness, yielding ourselves to holiness, yielding ourselves to purity. Hallelujah. Can we look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 14? And I'm going to ask us to go to the Amplified on the screen. 1 Peter 1, you can follow along in the version that you have. I'm going to read this from the Amplified. 1.14 says, live 
as children of obedience to God. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. So where is holiness expressed? Where can you see me walking out my holiness? My manner of conduct, my manner of living. That's where you see me living out the life. It's coming from the supply in my spirit, the life of God in me. It's not coming as a result of me saying, I can't do that, I can't watch that, I can't go there. My choice to not go there is coming from within me. My choice to not watch that. I don't go to a bar because what's in me doesn't want to be in a bar. I, I'm, not, I'm not bellying up to the bar tonight because I have a thirst for that which is righteous. I don't have a thirst for what they're serving at the bar. I'm, I'm, here I am tonight. I'm pulling, up, pulling my seat up to the, the flow of the new wine, what the Holy Spirit has. Why? Not because God is, is uh, telling me you can't do it, but because holiness is propelling me it is, it is motivating me to go in a different direction. Hallelujah. So he says, you live as children of obedience to God. As the one who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call upon him as your father who judges each one impartially according to what he does, then you should conduct yourselves with true reverence. Conduct yourselves. See where faith comes in? You see where faith comes in? I believe God. I believe God is holy. I believe God doesn't lie. So I don't lie. I don't lie on my taxes. I don't lie to get a discount when I purchase something. I don't lie to get free meals for my child. When she, when she turned past the age to get the child's meal, I'll pay whatever the adult price is. Right? I, why, I don't lie. Not because it's a regulation that is imposed upon me by a, a denomination or by man's rules. I don't lie because my father doesn't lie. I don't want anything to do with lying. I want to be truthful no matter what. Truthful if it means it's going to make things harder on me. Lying would make it even harder than whatever I would have to do by being truthful about it. Amen? That, that's coming from in me. That's not, coming, that's not a restraint I have to put from outside. That's, that's a restraint that's from my faith. My faith knows God doesn't lie. Hallelujah. So this conduct with true Reverence, conduct yourselves with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is how we walk out the plan of God. This is how faith enables us to live free from the snare of the enemy. We're living in the light. We're children of the light. We walk as children of the light. Amen? Now, I'm going to give us an important key that every believer needs to be skilled in 
to escape the snare of the devil. Are you ready? Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, and we'll read verses 2 and 3. This is, this is something that you need to be, this needs to be like the, one of the easiest access instruments on your tool belt. You know, if, if a carpenter has a tool belt, it's not hard for them to get to their hammer or their nail gun because that's the tool they're going to use prominently. And so it's right there, quick draw. They can just grab that, that, that nail gun out, that hammer out. Why? Because that's the one they're using most. This one is, is one that we will use and need it to be so easily accessible that we can, we can grab it in a moment's notice without even having to look down and find out where did I hang that on my tool belt. That I'm, I'm just by, by muscle memory know how to reach for this. Matthew 2. Matthew 3, verse 2, and saying, John the Baptist, saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Repentance is one of the most important tools that every believer needs to be skilled in. Repentance is not something that you should leave laying somewhere at the bottom of the toolbox. Because we walk in this flesh, we're, lit, we're dealing with our flesh, we're, we're learning how to walk in the Spirit, we recognize that there's a maturity we saw that this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, that they were having to go back to milk. They were not ready for meat because they were not skilled in the word of righteousness, and they were still yielding to their flesh. And so as long as we are living in this world with the flesh, we've got to be skilled in repentance because you don't want to miss it and let that miss Go unrepented of, not one day, not one hour. If you miss it, if you sin, if you fall short, you don't want it to go till next Sunday. You don't want to have to wait till you go to church to repent. The moment you miss it, the moment, the moment, the moment that you recognize I have I've sinned, I've, my anger, my criticism, whatever it might be, Whatever it is, immediately, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. This is our rescue. This is one of the most important tools that Jesus has made available. If you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. This confessing, this repenting is a tool for us. And there's two things that I see in this verse that repentance will provide. Number one, he, it says repentance prepares the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. How do you do that? Repent. He was preaching repent. And through repenting, you will prepare the way, the path of the Lord for your life. It starts when we come to him in the beginning, repenting of our life before Christ, repenting, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I accept Jesus as my Lord. But from that moment on, if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And when we repent, the way of the Lord is available for us to walk. Do you remember in Matthew, just hold your place here because I have one other thing to show you that, but I want to show you something in Matthew 13. Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, but in this, he also showed us uh, a process that works for every person. Matthew 13, verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables. I speak to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not 
neither do they understand. They're all connected. What does Proverbs 4 tell us? Attend to my word. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, attend to my word. Let the word not depart from in front of your eyes. I want you to see it. Because if you'll see it, you can see it. Incline your ear. I want you to hear it. Get it in the midst of your heart. I want you to understand it. And then guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flows the forces, the issues of your life. He says, they don't see their eyes. They don't hear their ears. They do not understand. Why don't they understand? Because they don't see it and hear it. They don't see it. They're seeing it, but they're not seeing it. They're hearing it, but they're not hearing it. So what did he say? I'm going to give it to them in a parable. Now, the parable wasn't hiding it. Verse 14, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is dull, hardened, calloused. So it wasn't the parable hiding it from them. Their hardened heart was hiding it from them. The parable was storing it for later use. So that when they ever came to the place that they were willing to look and willing to hear and willing to understand, when they, when they turned, then, then the parable would be there. Like, oh, that's what he meant when he said the sower sows. That's what he meant when he said the kingdom of God is like casting. That's what he meant when he said. See, the parable, in other words, They'll have it in the story, just like Pastor Caldwell was telling us the story. It was, it was hidden in there. So that when we came to a place of clarity, the Holy Spirit could pop it right open. See, that's what I meant. So he said, I'm telling them in parables so they can store it for the time when they're ready to see and hear and understand. Go back to 15. This people's heart is dull, calloused, hardened. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed. It's, it's the word that means they've squinted. Like if you come out of a dark um, restaurant or a dark movie theater out into the noonday sun, and it's so suddenly so bright. It's like they've walked from the darkness into the light, and it's causing them to squint. Ooh, that's what they were doing to the word. They were squinting at the light that the word was bringing. He said, he said, their eyes, they have closed. But if at any time, if at any time, if at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Do you know how many times Jesus told his disciples that he was going to raise from the dead? And they didn't get it. Do you know it even says in Scripture that he told them to meet him at a certain place? And that the angel had to say, go tell the disciples that, to meet Jesus in Galilee where he told you he would be. And, and they were like, they, they, they were in the wrong place. Why? Because they heard him and didn't hear him. They didn't understand. He told them over and over again. I'm going to be in the ground three days, but I will rise again. I'll come back to life. I'll rise again. So it should not have surprised them, <laughs> but it did. So there's mercy for us, right? <laughs> there's mercy for us. Things that the Lord has showed us, and then you're like, I could have had a V8. You remember? I could have had a donk. If at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted. That word converted means to turn. They'll be turned. It's the repentance. If they could see, if they could hear, they would understand with their heart 
and they would repent and I will save them. The word heal is the word soteria, to save, to cure, to heal, to make whole. How do we get the wholeness? Repent. How does the repentance come? I need to see something that helps me repent. I need to hear something that helps me repent. But we need to define repent. Because repent is not just to say I'm sorry. Esau, he tried to say he was sorry, but he never found repentance. Do you remember that? It says he could not find repentance because he didn't turn from his perception He was just sorrowful at what he lost. And there are some times that people mistake their sorrow for what the damage of their sin is doing. And they're sorry for it. They're sorry for the price that they're having to pay. But they're not willing to let it go yet. They're not willing to turn from it yet. They're not wanting to say, I don't want that in my life anymore and I'm turning from it. So the word repent is actually defined as to turn and to to go. It means to change one's mind or one's purpose to turn and to go in a different direction. So if if I am walking in one direction and I repent, it means that I completely turn from that direction. And I began to move in another direction. So it's more than just being sorrowful about the action. It's more than just being sorrowful about the recompense of what the action is causing in my life. There needs to be that what, the, what John was preaching was repent, turn, change, change so completely that you're not even going in that same direction. Change your mind change your purpose, and go in the direction that God has for you. So the the change will make ready the Lord's road. That's how the Weiss translation says, go back to Matthew 3, go back to Matthew 3, prepare ye the way, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The Weiss translation says, make ready at once the Lord's road. Be making straight and level his paths. If I repent, his path is easy to walk. If I change from going in the wrong direction and I start going in the right direction, I will easily walk on that path. But a person who does not want to change will not easily walk on the path that God has for them. God's path is full of God's provision. And so if a person is refusing to walk in the way of the Lord and they're wanting to go in their own way, like we saw from Ephesians 2, that before Christ picture, that Ephesians 2 picture that we talked about this morning, in the, in the, in the life before Christ, I walked according to the course of the world. And I, I did whatever my flesh compelled me to do. The desires, the cravings, the lusts of my flesh, I fulfilled them. But that's not the life I live today. I'm not called to fulfill the lust of my flesh. I'm not called to answer and obey the desires and promptings of my flesh. If I do, it's not going to give me the recompense that God wants for my life. It says to be mindful of the flesh is death. If I sow to the flesh, I'm going to of the flesh reap corruption. If I yield to the flesh, I'm going to reap something I don't want in my life. And so I have a, a, an ability in Christ to, to, to opt out of every flesh road. I, I'm opting out of that. And, and I choose the better option. I'm going to take the highway. I'm going to take the way of holiness. I'm going to take the way that leads me to life. I'm going to take the highway where God's joy and his peace and his provision are prevalent. Hallelujah. So number one, we see that repentance will prepare the way of the Lord in our life. Number two, repentance will make his paths straight before our feet. Hallelujah. Isaiah 55 talks about a twisted path. 
and our turning away from it. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. There's a way that is to be forsaken. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let them return. There's the word repentance in a different way. Remember the turn, return, return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So God's thoughts and God's ways are the preferred thoughts and ways for us to partake of, for us to walk in. Hallelujah. The voice translation says this, stop right now, turn and do right. Don't you love that? Stop right now, turn and do right. Let them turn back to the eternal so they can experience his compassion. Hallelujah. So no matter what, if I, I, if I find myself off course, if I find myself obeying the lust of my flesh, if I find myself committing a sin, I don't need to beat myself up. I don't need to agonize. I need to turn right away. I need to repent. I need, wait, hold on. What am I doing here? Let me get out of here and turn myself. Stop, turn and go back to the Lord. Hallelujah. And he's faithful and just to receive us, to cleanse us, to establish us again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 2. I'm helping you tonight. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 2 and 23. Let's start in 22, actually. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, which is love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you see? That's something we choose. Follow righteousness. Follow faith. Follow love. Follow peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord, that's not just referring to people in the pulpit, all of us, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. It is a godly leader's responsibility to instruct those who are opposing themselves. To instruct those that are, are going in a direction that is dangerous for their life. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God, peradventure, will give them repentance. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Esau looked for repentance, but he never found a place where he would turn. He was sorrowful for what he lost, but he never came to the place of repentance. Instructing those, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So those that are opposing themselves are denying the truth. They're denying. They're not walking in light. They're walking in, in, in the direction that is taking them into a confusion. And then it says this, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. You see, there's a snare again. How do we recover ourselves out of the snare of the devil? Well, if we're in the snare, the way to get out of the snare is repent. Repentance is the way out. Repent and acknowledge the truth. Hallelujah. The result of repentance is that I acknowledge the truth. And true repentance is, is the, the path or the way to escape the snare of the devil. 
He can't keep me if I've repented. He can't hold me in bondage. He can't hold me under condemnation. He can't hold me in the dominion of sin if I've repented of it. Hallelujah. What a rescue. What a gift. The repentance then that God makes available through the instruction, instruct those if, so that God will give them repentance. Hallelujah. They're going to have to hear that instruction. They're going to have to see and hear and come to a new understanding and turn, be converted, turn from the direction. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Second Peter. Did I already use this one? No, you want this one. You're going to want this one. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the way out of perishing. He's not willing that any should perish. Their only way out of perishing is repent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm just, I'm, I'm loading you with all the ammunition. All the spiritual nutrition. 1 Corinthians 11, 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. If we judge ourselves, search me, O God. We go before God, and, and you know, the Bible says, if our heart condemns us, in 1 John, Talking about your heart will tell you if there's something. We want to be sensitive. We don't want to harden our heart and override that and say, I don't care because I'm going to get my last word in and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And the Holy Spirit's like, don't do that. Don't do that. You're stepping out of love. You're violating the love command. Don't, don't criticize that person. Some people have such a habit of criticism that, that, that they've overridden the Holy Spirit just because their flesh loves that critical conversation. And they're stepping out of the love command the whole time that they're judging that other person and putting that other person in the place of of wrong or whatever. And that criticism is hardening their heart. It's desensitizing them because it's the flesh. Your born-again spirit's not critical. If there's any criticism, it's coming from the flesh. If there's unforgiveness, that's not coming from your born-again spirit. Your your born-again spirit is quick to forgive. If if you are easily offended, that's not coming from your born-again spirit. That's the flesh that gets easily offended. the, The whole 1 Corinthians 13 thing, all of the things that says love is not, flesh is. Love is not envious. Flesh is. Love is not easily offended. Flesh is. Love does not take account of a suffered wrong. The flesh does. The flesh is a bookkeeper. I mean, when it comes to how you wronged me, I didn't forget a detail. But my spirit's not the one remembering all those details of how that person did me wrong. It's the flesh. Hallelujah. So, When we see here, he says, judge ourselves. If we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Why? Because I've already put myself in the position and recognized where I was wrong, and God didn't have to come and say, hey, I think I need to talk to you about that attitude. Hey, I need to talk to you about that criticism. I've already come to God and said, God, I was critical. 
And the Holy Spirit, the moment he, he prompted me that I was wrong, I'm, I'm repenting of it and I'm turning from it. I'm not just saying I'm sorry I did it. I am sorry that I did it and I won't do it anymore. I'm turning from it. Do you see that? So this judging of ourselves is recognizing where we need to change, where we need to, to adopt a spiritual response and refrain from letting our flesh respond in that situation. Glory to God. Glory to God. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord is not sickness. It's not anything we're redeemed from. Although sometimes people step out of love and open a door so that things that we're redeemed from get a, 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 get a, a foothold, try to, try to gain an entrance. The enemy is looking for an entrance. He comes to steal, to kill, and to uh, destroy the word. So he's looking to get in the cares of this world sown into the heart. He's looking to get the thorns, the rocky ground that will stop the growth of the word. He's looking for ways to, to get something in the ground of our heart to hinder the growth of the word. But we don't have to allow the stones to be planted in our ground offense. We don't have to allow the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of, of riches or the desires for other things to get in and choke out the word. We can be people who keep our hearts clean so that God can grow his word and bring forth a harvest of his word in our life. Hallelujah. Why? We judge ourselves. We judge ourselves and say, I was offended about that and I'm not going to let my pastor offend me. I'm not going to be, be, be offended because somebody in the church uh, didn't speak to me. Maybe they, were, maybe they didn't see me. Maybe they were thinking about something else. Maybe they, they were about to sneeze and didn't want to sneeze in my face and walked on past me. You know, what, whatever it might I, I'm going to give them the benefit of, of, of recognizing maybe they were just, you know, thinking about something else and didn't see me. I'm not going to get offended or look for that opportunity. I'm judging myself. I'm judging myself. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord. That's the Lord coming to us and saying, your attitude needs to be adjusted. He, the Word, He'll use His Word to correct us. The Word of God is profitable for instruction and correction. Hallelujah. So that we are not in a position of violation. Glory to God. Now, let's, let's end right here in 1 Corinthians 10. Back up one chapter to 10 and verse 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. It didn't say God tempted you. God is not the tempter. The Bible says that we are that God does not tempt people with evil. James chapter 1. And he said, "Don't you even say that God tempted you." God's not the tempter. He's the faithful one who won't allow you to be tempted in a way that you can't resist it. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able. If a heavyweight trainer, let's say a lightweight, there are different categories in boxing, and that you've got a lightweight division, you've got a heavyweight division, and it would be unfair for a lightweight division boxer to be put up against a heavyweight is just an unfair advantage. It's, it's just an unfair, we would not do that. That The reason they have the separate divisions is so that those who qualify in this category aren't having to fight against someone in a category that, of, of someone who is twice their size and, and twice their height to try to fight with them. Do you see that? 
God's not going, if you're, if you're at a lightweight level, he's not going to let you be put in a heavyweight fight. He's going to say, no, 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 devil. You're not putting them in that ring. You're not, you're not putting them in that fight. He's, he's establishing boundaries of what the enemy's able to do. The enemy is, is, uh, is on the earth. He's the God of this world, but he does not have any authority in our lives. In our, in our situation, he is defeated. Jesus has stripped him. He has, he has made him devoid of all ability against us. He has taken from him. Uh, uh, he has defeated the one who had this, the, the uh, authority of death, and he has given us the victory. So there's nothing the enemy can tempt us with that we're not able to resist it. Hallelujah. But with every temptation, God makes a way to escape. With every temptation, God makes a way to escape. You're not, you won't find yourself in a battle, in a difficulty, in an adversity that God hasn't already made an escape route for you. He's faithful. There's an escape. And if it's a temptation, repentance is a way of escape. Repentance is the way out of perishing. Hallelujah. So we need to embrace repentance. The Bible tells you to be quick to repent. Quick to repent. If you offend your brother, repent. If you, whatever the case may be, if you've sinned against God, repent. God's not, he's not interested in, in punishing, he's interested in mercy. He doesn't want anybody to suffer under the, the weight of sin. He wants everybody to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we need to be quick to repent. That's how we escape the snare of the devil. So God has given us a life. If we will become skilled in walking in the light, walking by the Spirit, skilled in this life he's given us, we'll keep the door shut to the enemy. We'll keep ourselves off limits to the enemy. And we'll escape the snare. It's possible for you to never be in a a position of um, vulnerability to the enemy. As long as you hold your position in Christ, you're never in a position where he has easy access to you. Amen? Oh, Father, thank you for giving us this new life and teaching us how to live this new life in victory. Father, I pray for you to equip each and every one of these, your children, with the knowledge and with the fortitude to stand in the light and live their lives on this earth in the fullness of that light, walking in your path and your plan for every avenue of our lives. Father, I receive it and I thank you for it for bringing into manifestation the victory that is ours in Christ in the lives of every person. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 To get on the highway, there's a ramp to get on the highway. But in some places, there's a frontage road before the ramp. That frontage road may seem like it's long. And for instance, Dallas, Texas. Have mercy. 
you're trying to get on the highway and you're on the frontage road for two and a half miles before the ramp to the highway comes. You're like, am, I'm, am I on the right place? You're looking at the GPS map, the navigation system. Am I on the right? You know, sometimes it, it looks like you're close and you've got it kind of random out there with that arrow. I'm, it's a frontage road. This isn't the highway. I'm trying to get on the highway. And sometimes people are trying to get into their healing highway and the Lord says, I need to talk to you about forgiveness. Lord, I need healing. I'm not trying to get on the, the, the forgiveness highway. I'm trying to get over here on this healing highway. He says, yeah, I'm, that's the frontage road. Forgiveness is the frontage road. For, for you to get on the healing highway, you're going to have to go by way of that forgiving frontage road. Hallelujah. That walking in love frontage road. Like that woman who said to Brother Hagin, I hate my mother-in-law. He, he was preaching that night in the church and he said, uh, if you, you hate, you're a murderer. And she said, you bothered me when you said that because I hate my mother-in-law. And he said, then you're a murderer. And he said, I knew she didn't really hate her mother-in-law, but I was just going to get her attention. And, you know, her eyes got really big. And he said, now I want you to say again, I hate my mother-in-law. And tell me what happens right here in your heart. And she said, I hate my mother-in-law. And he said, what did you sense right here in your heart? And she said, it was like something inside of me was scratching on the inside. And he said, you're, you're angry with your mother-in-law. You've got animosity against your mother-in-law. But you don't hate your mother-in-law. And he began to talk to her about walking in love and talk to her about forgiving her mother-in-law for the things that she was holding against her. And she did. She, she repented. She turned. And she forgave her mother-in-law and invited her mother-in-law and her other sisters-in-law over and began to develop that relationship. This same woman, he, had, he was in town for like a six-week meeting. And during that six weeks, he said this woman had a child who was being attacked with epileptic fits and that these these fits would come on this child and she said she called brother Hagen one day and she said would you come he's showing all the symptoms that he's going to have one of those epileptic seizures would you come and pray for my child and he said sure I'll come and he and his wife got in the car they're headed over to this woman's house and on the way the Lord said I do not want you to lay hands on that child I want you to tell her that she is now walking in, the, in, in line with the love command. And in the same way that I said under the old covenant, if you'll keep my commandments, I'll take sickness far from the midst of you, that she is keeping the New Testament love command and that I will take that sickness off of her child. And so he, when he got there, he said to her, what the Lord had instructed him. And he said, the Lord said for you to tell the devil, I'm walking in love now. You have to get your hands off my child. And that she did that. She said, devil, I am walking in the law of love now. Get your hands off my child in Jesus' name. She was not able to say that before because there was an area that it wasn't God, but because of her refusing to walk in love before, the enemy had trespassed. The enemy had found a door that he could sneak through and come in and attack her through attacking her child. But when she got over to a place where she was clean of that unforgiveness and obedient to the love command, she was able to exercise authority that, that was hers, but she wasn't able to exercise it while she was out of love, while she was in unforgiveness. Do you see the advantage that we have when we keep our hearts clean, when we keep our lives clean, that that no matter what the enemy may try to do, God can instruct me and he can, he can advise me and give me the key that I need to overcome that. 
She would not have had faith to pray that prayer while she had the unforgiveness in her heart because her heart would have condemned her. Not because God didn't want to answer the prayer. Her heart would not have connected with faith. Her heart would have condemned her with that unforgiveness. It talks about the husband and wife maintaining a unity and keeping strife out of their marriage so that their prayers aren't hindered. So that their prayers aren't hindered. So there are a lot of husbands and wives whose prayers are hindered because they're, they're opening an opportunity for the enemy in that strife. Do you see the frontage road? Some, no, 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 I don't want the frontage road. I want the highway. You've got to take the frontage road to get to the highway. You've got to have the right entrance ramp. Hallelujah. I believe that the Lord is helping us. And I believe this is, there's, there's, there's great glory coming. There is great glory coming. And there is preparation in advance for the fullness of what I will move you into. This preparation is a preparation of the heart. This preparation is an embracing of my word. This preparation is a yieldedness to my purpose, to my plan, and to my correction. This preparation is a preparation that will make you solid and more stable than you've ever been in your life. If you will yield and embrace and, and uh, reach for the correction in my word. It will cause you to come forth like the gold free of all impurities. It will cause you to be strengthened and fortified and edified to the point that not only can I use you for my glory and can I display upon you of my goodness, but that you will be invincible to the attacks of the enemy as I have purpose for you to be. Hallelujah. 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 There was a level of consecration in the lives of the people who worked in the outer court. But there was greater consecration for the priests who worked in the inner court. And even a higher level of consecration for the one who went in behind the veil. And the plans that God has for us our plans in the glory. And for you and I to operate and continue in the glory, we're going to have to embrace the consecration. We're going to have to permit the sanctification. That setting apart of ourselves, that setting apart of our thoughts, my thoughts are set apart thoughts. My thought life is not meant for the enemy's garbage to be in my mind. Worry is enemy garbage. Anxiety is enemy garbage. It doesn't belong in my mind. Criticism Thoughts of, of uh, hate or fear, they're not what God wants in my mind. Hallelujah. Sanctified. Set apart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the greater glory is a, is a greater setting apart. 
and we won't lose anything. You're not, you're not missing anything by setting yourself apart unto the Lord. You're gaining. You're gaining. You're gaining eternal. One of the things that I pray for you consistently is Philippians chapter 1 that says that you may approve that which is excellent. Spiritual things are excellent. I want you to approve the spiritual things and disapprove the fleshly things. Glory to God. Do you see I closed my Bible? That's my third close, third and final. Do you see that? I closed my Bible. I've been closing now for, for, for 15 minutes. I'm closing, closing. You see that? <laughs> the Lord is good. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is so good to us. Praise God.